Nicole, stop pointing at the phallic object. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> Look how long it is. It's. <laughs> She's talking about her microphone audience, to be clear. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> big man. Hello, and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole, and along with me is David. Hello, hello. Welcome back to our Hottie Season 3, where we're covering each episode of House of the Dragon on the pod as they air. Spoiler warning, we will be covering the current episode as well as any that have aired previously. Spoilers for the Game of Thrones show and book are all fair game. If you do not want to know, how many rows it takes to be a free gay man, consider yourself warned. That said, we will not be spoiling the ending of Hot D. If you want to know, go read Fire and Blood or your favorite Reddit thread. All right, so we are on episode seven, Driftmark. Our time jump was... Just a few days, I think. Just Days-ish? A... Weeks, maybe? Yeah, so we ended last episode, give or take, with, with the death. And then this episode, we opened with the funeral. I don't know Westerosi custom, but I imagine they don't let their dead hang out too long. They're going to get stinky. Yep. Um, so I figure we're a few days. Most of the dead I've seen processed are burned. Yeah, I wonder what was in that that coffin one it seemed that there was more coffins in the water which was pretty cool oh like a graveyard but yeah i wonder if it's actually bones like was there dust was there ash left i thought it was beautiful it was quite good so nicole why don't you run us through just a quick summary about what happened on uh, this episode Driftmark? the valerians bury lena in ceremony and once again corliss and rainies are plagued with the weight of the rain that never was Lenor is out to sea while his sons and Rhaenyra defend the family's honor. So, with the help of Daemon, she relieves Laenor of his burden. Driftmark mourns both Lena and Laenor's deaths. Bela and Reyna are comforted by Jace and enlist he and Luke when Aemon lays claim to Vagar. While Rhaenyra and Daemon knock one off, Jace and Luke defend Lena's girls. After being called bastards escalates their fight, Luke slices Aemon's eye. King Viserys insists everyone just needs to get along. <laughs> and Allison slices Rhaenyra and Root to claim the debt for her son's eye. Aemon voices the eye was fair payment for Vagar, and Otto welcomes Allison to the game, but tells her, put your crazy back in the box. How'd you feel about this episode? Did you like it? I loved it. I think this was back-to-back bangers. Um, these episodes, especially with the endings. One of the things I did like about the last few seasons of Game of Thrones was they were doing this like just as the episode's about to wind down, they kind of like cliffhanger a little bit and they go like, oh, but look, something happened. We played some great Raman Dawadi music and something spooky or interesting happened. And I feel like the last two episodes, both with Clubfoot and then with the plot here that Damon and Rhaenyra put together in this episode, I feel like, yeah, we got back to back sort of Raman Dawadi endings. So I also think it's a trick because if you're bored throughout the episode or you don't think it's going well or you're unhappy with the performances, 
and they give you a little kick in the ass on your way out, you remember it more fondly. So I really, I really, really like this episode. How about you? No, no, I definitely enjoyed this one. If the pacing was more on par with this, I probably would have felt a lot more things. Um, We definitely got time to like marinate some of these players this time around. So Mm -hmm. let's get into our episode beats. Let's start with House Valerion. So Eve Best plays uh, Rainies, and she really had a lot to chew on in this episode as part of her grief and and confronting uh, her husband Corliss. So she crushed it this episode, right? You, you, yeah. Like I was really impressed with her performance. Absolutely. I mean, we haven't spent a ton of time with her. She's incredible, and the the pain was visceral when. She confronts Corliss and he's trying to sort of put it on her like, you know, you should have been on the throne. How have you not gotten over this? She kind of calls out his ambition and she says, you know, basically we're having a lot of bad luck. Is it because you're overstepping, you're overreaching? Um, She kind of accuses Corliss of sort of the fault of what's happening. Do you think that's right or is this just some bad luck or is this the fact that they're sort of playing the game of thrones and caught up in this this cold war, this proxy war? Do you do you think she's got something here? I think it's both. I think his ambition is is kind of driving him. He's using his wife's situation to make himself look good, but she did face him with the opportunity to kind of fix to at least in their own house to to fix things by giving the role of heir to Lena's children in light of her death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and he doesn't and he is very focused on the male heir and the name carrying on. Yeah. We definitely find the limits for Corliss's feminism in that conversation. Yeah. And that was part of his negotiation, right, was making sure that that the children of uh, his son, Lenor and Rhaenyra were going to be named Valerion, at least until one of them took the throne. I don't disagree with Corliss's ambition, and I do think that it's a driving factor for some of these decisions. But I also do think Corliss is a kind man and a good paternal sure. figure. He does really care. He seems distraught over his daughter's death. He seems to really care about his son, especially in a time when a time, a fantasy time. When it would be very easy to treat your your gay son badly, he seems to accept who his son is and is sort of in on the plan. Even when uh, Rainey's calls out, you know, those children aren't yours. He seems unwilling to accept that. Even when he's talking to Luke about being the heir to Driftmark one day and Luke has this great scene where he's like, I don't want it because it means everyone's dead. I don't want it. I don't want it. He kind of gives him a tussle on his little bastard hair and is like, come on, sport. Like, you'll be all right. He's, yeah. he's very paternal. He seems like he's coaching a little league team. I do think that Corliss can be ambitious and can also be a good father. I think there are times when that can conflict, but I don't read him as as only ambition. So are you saying his scalp had sex with someone it wasn't married to and created bastard hair? Yes. OK. Yeah, that hair gets everywhere. Yeah, just spreads around. Yeah, I would take a lock of Harwin's hair, no questions asked, and put it in dangerous places. <laughs> At the end of that scene, you mentioned that Rainey's puts forth that it should go to their Lena and Damon's eldest daughter, Bela, that she should be the heir to Driftmark. He tries to push it through the through the female line. 
do you think this is the right move? And do you think this is something they're going to continue to discuss? Uh, he sort of seemed to put a clamp on it. But do you think it's a good idea? And do you think that it's something that's going to have some some weight to it as we go forward? I think that honoring Lena's death is a nice thought. I think I, I think that if he agreed to it, it would have been a fine thing. On the same token, I, I don't think it's really fair to the children to punish them for the behaviors of their parents. And mm. what Lenor can and cannot do with yeah. Rhaenyra is not really their fault. And I, I do kind of see Corliss's side where Lenor is the heir, his, his kin follow that line after him. Yeah. Um, and whether they're male or female, I don't think it's really fair to like those children didn't ask to be born. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be for those of uh, our fans who are super nerds and play crusader Kings. Uh, this is a nightmare on your crusader Kings campaign where you've got bastard children floating around who are going to inherit parts of your kingdom, but not all of it. It's just, it's a mess. I feel well, bad but they're, for them. They're legitimized. And not acknowledge as bastards. It's not like there's just like a bunch of them running around. Like that's true. These are heirs that are acknowledged, not like people showing up for their piece of the lottery winnings when Uncle Dan wins. <laughs> Uncle Dan. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a spoiler alert to say in the book Fire and Blood, we do end up with a lot of bastards uh, floating around as the story continues. So we'll we'll see if that that those elements are incorporated into the story. So we'll talk more about Rhaenyra and Damon's big plan in a little bit, but sticking to Lenor for a second, are we happy he got to escape off with Sir Carl, even if it tore his mother and father's heart apart? Yes, 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 yes. I think that switcheroo for me was fantastic. I think it's probably the best moment in the show so far. Uh, one, it was a genuine surprise uh, for for book readers. Um, it's not that different from the book in terms of what actually happened. It fills this sort of gray area. Some folks are going to argue, but they said he was killed in a market and he was actually I'm not going to get I'm not going to argue over where he was killed. But the fact is, the book said he was killed by Carl. And that is what history will show here. They may not have the location correct. I love what facts people cling to in all of this. Yeah. Like it wasn't in a market. Yeah. Well, have we forgotten the part where like these are unreliable sources and it's like only part of the story? Yes. It's hearsay. And sometimes you're just going to change shit to make it easier to film. We don't want to have to buy Build a, market a market with all the extras. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and Mushroom said Damon was involved and Damon was involved, which is interesting. But I thought that that scene as it played out was great. It was very Godfather-esque in terms of them planning it and you seeing it being uh, executed while it was being planned. So I thought that was really cool. But that twist that uh, Lenor lived got like a cheer from me in my living room. Yeah. And it's really we talked a few episodes ago about the bury your gaze trope. And it's like this. Hey, you got representation. And then we used you in the worst possible way. I do think this was an interesting take to say, well, listen, we did what the book said, but we twisted it. Did you think that the writers navigated the situation well? And do you think it helps kind of balance off what happened to Joffrey, where he sort of outed himself and was murdered within 10 minutes? I mean, I don't know if it makes up for the fact that Joffrey was brutally murdered at a rehearsal dinner, no. <laughs> regardless of that. I mean, I do suspect now that Christian performed a hate crime in that, whereas before we were kind of just not sure if he was protecting himself. It, oh, we're, we're locking this down now. We're in. I feel like after his behavior, I mean, I think there was a scene where Allison like says, 
um, off entertaining his squires, I suppose, or whatever. Yeah. And Christian like giggles like maniacally, which indicates to me that this is skewing like religious extremist. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those areas where we don't look at the show only as entertainment, right? We look at the show and we also talk about what it what it says and what it says yeah. about society mm-hmm. in this fantasy time and what it says about the viewers. I think this is probably one of those moments I would assume that someone in the writer's room said, hey, this looks bad. Like within, you know, three episodes, we introduced two gay characters and killed them both. And someone said, "Ooh, I have an idea. That's how when you step back from it, you go, oh, that was a cool plot twist. And oh, thank God we didn't kill another gay person. Correct. I definitely was like, oh, thank God Rhaenyra isn't a fucking evil person. (laughs) I was like, oh, thank God she didn't kill him because she just got done like sitting down and telling him like how good of a person he was and how rare that is. And I was like, what a fucking bunch of bullshit. (laughs) What the fuck? And then and then I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. The only thing I want to make sure um, you asked me if I thought they navigated it well with Joffrey's death. And I said, I don't think that they can make up for Joffrey's death by simply not killing Lenor. He is off the show. There is no longer representation on the show. And that is yeah. probably more important. Do you think it helps that it seems uh, this show uh, has a writer's room, which the old Game of Thrones didn't. It was mostly written by the, by the two showrunners. Uh, Also, there's a lot more female uh, directors in this series compared to Game of Thrones so far. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that diversity of thought both in the writer's room and in the director's chair is is helping the show? I absolutely do. I mean, the woman's point of view was like totally visceral. Like you could completely feel the difference in the way the actors behaved. And that's not to say that it's any better or worse. You just can tell. Yeah. So Sarah Hess um, is not only one of the writers, but is a named producer on the show as well. Yeah. And she has taken a a lot of time in the interviews that I've heard to really talk about how women are portrayed, especially in comparison to game of Thrones. So more female voices in, in the creation of the show, but two women who weren't listened to, were the twins, Bela and Reyna, who were key to sort of this this fight that took place. And then no one sort of asked their opinions or cared what happened to them. Yeah, there was definitely a disrespect to uh, the process of like, you know, mourning and losing your mother. You know, when is the appropriate time to attempt to take ownership of your mother's dragon? You know, it's the same. Like, (laughs) when do you clean out the closet? When do you throw away her toothbrush? Like that kind of stuff takes time. And I think there was definitely a disrespect there from um, anyone attempting to take her dragon or, or bond with the dragon. I do think that with Reyna, we're already seeing how she's being shortchanged by her father I think that we see her have an opportunity to potentially strengthen that relationship and she loses that opportunity when Eamon steps in. Yeah. She's not trying to get Vagar for political clout. She is attempting to mean something to her father and to her family. Yeah. And, and, you know, with no baby dragon, baby hatchling an opportunity um, in the near future to have a dragon, this was her opportunity to, win her father's favor potentially 
would she have been able to get the dragon if that remains that we'll never know? Yeah. And she didn't. Uh, we mentioned a few episodes ago, it was mentioned that that Damon wasn't teaching her high Valerian. Right. And Eamon, one of the at least one of the reasons that he was successful with the dragon was he was giving it high Valerian commands. So, yeah, I wonder if she would have even been able to tame the beast without that. Yeah. They get into that big fight and both of the girls get slugged by Eamon. So I get it. He broke no. Luke's no nose and that's like whatever. But in their house, on their mother's funeral or wake or whatever the ceremony is called. Yeah. These girls are assaulted. Like, Why was there no answer for that? It is 4v1, though. I think Eamon, so I think this is one of the few times that Game of Thrones isn't sexist. It allows him to beat a woman <laughs> the same as he would beat a man. Oh, Jesus, David. Uh, I, of course, I don't think you should beat little children. But I do think Eamon comes off of that dragon a different person oh, yeah. than the one who climbed onto that dragon. For sure. When he's like, oh, well, maybe you can go get a pig. I think all the pain that Eamon has felt in his life, it seems like being picked on by his brother and being picked on by Luke and Jace. He has all of that rage stored up and it seems like he's now like he can unleash it. And I think when he came off of the dragon, he was a changed child. I don't think it's appropriate to beat the shit out of your cousins, half sisters, half brothers. It's weird now with all the incest gang. He's definitely related to them. I don't want to venture into the three or four different ways, but I feel like. We kind of forgot about the girls in this scene because he's the he's the changed one now. And yeah, the broken noses and shit. The other kids, uh, Eamon threw down. Eamon fought four of them. Yeah. And at one point he was on the ground and, you know, being dominated. But the point is, though, the other boys, the boys who were targeted were just defending the girls. Yes. Yes. And they weren't down there for again, for their own reasons. And they became the target. Yeah, so Jace goes over to the twins. Uh, they reach out and, and they hold his hand. And it's a nice, sweet moment. And then when they think something's going on with Vagar, they come to the boys and ask for help. And then the boys defend them and they defend the boys in this scene. And now their parents who were uncle and niece are married. Do you think that this episode created a bond between these four children? Or do you think that the marriage that we'll talk about a little bit later is is going to break that it seemed like they had a lot of growth together this they sort of bonded together do you think that's going to sustain or do you think the fact that their parents now married is going to fuck things up i mean i'm hopeful that that the bond will resist any any breakage that could possibly come from this weird arrangement at least their per, with their perception yeah. would be a weird arrangement i also think that their bond started before that fight when Rhaenyra sent Jace over there for com to comfort them when they were sitting by themselves yeah. and nobody was around. I don't know if this was the reason why she held his hand, but he, before he goes over, he's like, aren't I equally entitled to grief and comfort? Um, and when he, he goes over there, he kind of stands there and looks a little bewildered, but she, it's like, she knows he's, going through the same pain to me i read it yeah and she holds his hand yeah. so i think that the bond at least between those two started there which was hopefully the moment that will take them through any what hardships or, yeah. or weirdness that might come from right. the marriage of their parents and they are going to go through the same weirdness yeah the, it, so they'll experience it again so all of this started because shitty little layman snuck out 
and tamed Vagar, bonded with Vagar. In the books and in the show, obviously, Lena had bonded with the dragon at some point, but in the show, we didn't show it. Uh, it wasn't portrayed on screen. It, it happened in between episodes and one of the time jumps. So instead, we get to see Eamon do it. Your thoughts about how fucking awesome this scene was? That's the only acceptable answer. Yeah. Right? That it was a fucking awesome scene. Eamon goes and finds Vagar and wakes her. And she kind of... Br There's so much acting on the CGI dragon, by the way, that kind yeah. of like wakes up <laughs> and was like, ugh. And lays back down. <laughs> Just fucking awesome. That interaction was yeah. amazing. And I think we've gotten a lot more character development between these two and that like five minute scene than like many of the characters on the show. Yeah. Which is, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting. I hope that, that that's for a good reason. It seems it seems as we get through this, we're seven. We've got three more to go. They're, it seems like maybe they're being intentional about what we get uh, deeper bites out of. Yeah. That being said, the ritual was beautiful and yeah, there was a humor to it. Um, and it was cool to see that a dragon kind of could have a personality like that. We got a little of that from Drogon in Game of Thrones. Yeah. We get a little bit of that from Rhaegal and Viserion. But yeah, no, I I would bet anything that you also enjoyed that ritual. Yeah, I I loved it. What I like to see is that, to your point, we're not getting a lot of time with characters. We're getting more with them. And and I think we've only got one significant time jump left this season, I think. That's true. So getting a little extended time to see character arcs is really important for me. I, I've mentioned this on the show several times that I like to see character growth. I like to see a character start in place A and end up in place B, whether that's good to bad, bad to good. I like that Amond just in the last few episodes with a little moody little shit. And in this episode, he's like, I'm going to get a fucking dragon. I'm going to tell those bastard kids what's up. And also, I'm going to say, hey, I should fucking marry my sister to lock down our airship like I would do my fucking duty. I like that he's separating himself from Aegon as well. When when you look at Luke and Jace, I don't know the fucking difference between the two of them. In this podcast, I apologize, folks. I probably mixed and matched them a few times. They're two little bastard children. I don't know the difference. Stop. And part of that, I am not alone in this Allison, because the whole fucking kingdom put your knows. crazy back in the box. The whole kingdom knows. I am wearing green today. No, no. Uh, but I think what I really like is that I'm seeing Eamon see this lack of leadership, even at this young age, that, you know, We've seen these scenes where Allison's trying to instruct Aegon, like, this is what you need to do, Aegon. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready. And he just wants to drink and jerk off and chase waitresses. Be a teenager. Yeah, he wants to be a teenager. But like Rhaenyra when she was a teenager. Yes, yes, very similar. But I think that Aemond has a little bit of Otto in him. Mm. And Aemond's saying, yo, if I have to, I'll marry my sister. Oh, you want to make fun of me? I'm going to go get the biggest fucking dragon in the world. Oh, I'll call those kids fucking bastards. And when you ask me why, I'll throw my brother under the fucking bus because that's how I'm going to roll. And when my mom gets upset, I'm going to tell my mom, hey, I lost an eye, mm. but I got a dragon. I do like to see his character change just in this short time. So it's not a long span, right? We haven't been waiting months for this. At this stage, do you think he's the only kid of all of the children we've seen who understands his role in the game and what it's going to become? Because all the rest want to be kids. 
it's hard to say that I think that he knows the bigger picture. For me, I think that mm-hmm. a lot of his actions are reactions to being bullied and wanting to prove himself and and learning what earns his favor with his grandfather, with his mother. I don't know if he even strives for approval from his father, but I think that he's learning what gets approval, what makes him look good, what feels good um, when it comes to his family. Um, and and I think he's learning well. I don't think he knows the the weight of what is coming and what all yeah. of this is doing. I don't think Aegon was like, man, one day we're going to have to get in a big old fight with this family. So I'm, I got to go get the biggest dragon. I think he was thinking, shit, like they're going to keep making fun of me the longer that I don't have a dragon. Like I need to figure this out. Oh, look, mm. there's there's a, an available dragon. There's my personal, yeah. I don't think he was like, man, fuck this chick. I don't want her to have a dragon, so I'm going to go take it from her. Like, I don't think that was even, <laughs> that even entered his mind. I think his actions were self-preservation. I think that he is a victim of being bullied. And some people, that can manifest into bad things. And it seems like he might yeah. be skewing evil. And you know what? I think with all the kids, the poison is coming from the parents, right? Yeah. Especially in, when it comes to the Targaryen children or the, you know, Rhaenyra's stepbrothers and sisters. Maybe not so much Helena, but the poison is coming from the parents. When King Viserys asks Aemon, where did you hear this? He looks at his mother. And to me, he wasn't looking at his mother to say, what do I do? I think he was looking at his mother like, uh, I heard it from you. Yeah. <laughs> and then he looks at, and then he blames his brother and his brother is just like, yeah, come on. Like, I think that she's poisoned the water. I think that that comes from Otto. And I think that these children are, are products of their upbringing, which is unfortunate because being bullied, having your parents fighting all the time, your family fighting all the time, it just has a really remarkable effect on the trauma you experience and inherit from your family. Do you think that's why Helena is communicating with the spirit world? You know, I think this character is really cool. I really don't know what they're going to do with her. But if they keep cracking her open like she's some kind of fortune cookie each episode (laughs) and she just like recites some freaking prophecy, I think that's going to get old. I really hope that the next time we see her is not another prophecy only. And I also hope the next time we see her, she isn't killed. You know what I mean? It's just like, I think there's something there. I think like I told you last time, I I feel like she's got Shireen vibes. I think she could be really cool. Mm -hmm. And and I'd love to see more of her. I, I really... I really like her. And she also seems to like steer clear of all the the drama, at least so far. I think that's what I like most about her. I feel like I mean, not the soothsaying, because I never have any fucking idea what I'm doing in the next five minutes. But I feel like you could have gone to my history, any birthday party, any funeral, any Catholic church event. And I would have been in the corner somewhere drawing, you know, comic book characters, ignoring all the drama. And so I kind of relate to her of just like ignoring everything that was happening and being in your own little world. You weren't standing in the center of some circle telling one of your many stories. No, I I know this comes as a shock to you and to our viewers, but most people don't listen to me. (laughs) I think you're required to. You do this podcast with me, so you have to humor me. Uh, But most people do not listen to me. I think one of the the most shocking scenes, obviously, is 
the final confrontation post-fight, which is where the, the children try to explain what happened, and it ends up quickly escalating from the children to Alicent and Rhaenyra squaring off. In particular, Rhaenyra is on the defense and like, hey, boys will be boys. And Alicent is on the like, I need a fucking eye off of one of your kids. Book readers were really looking forward to this scene. This is a, a pivotal moment. Rhaenyra points out to Alicent. Now they see you as you are. What did you think of this? Was it worth the wait? I feel like we've been building to this all season, at least as a book reader. Have you felt that this was as important as our book readers think it is? Do you did you feel the weight of the scene? I mean, I understood what this means, the stake in the ground. Um, I don't know. Allison wasn't coming to stab Rhaenyra. She was coming after the children, which I think is even crazier than the fact that she sliced (laughs) (laughs) Rhaenyra's arm. She was coming at young boys with a knife. Like, what was she thinking? Yeah. Not to mention the fact that Rhaenyra is the heir. And if saying that her children are illegitimate is high treason, what the hell is like stabbing the heir? (laughs) We weren't cutting a turkey and the knife slipped. (laughs) It says a lot about you had talked about this in our last episode of what it takes to sort of get in trouble. And you had said, you know, Harwin beat up a, a king's guard, so he got kicked out. But a king's guard beat up another knight and he sort of got a slap on the wrist. And it seems like apparently if you're queen, you can try to stab the heirs to the Iron Throne as long as your husband is just like, all right, that's enough. Boys will be boys. Yeah, That's enough. Go to bed. Like, Well, to use Allison's words, that is not sufficient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he just walks out. He's like, I assume this is this is over. Do you think that this moment now makes it very clear Last episode, Rhaenyra was like, hey, our kids can get married. It'll be fun. In this episode, everyone's hanging out at funerals together. And and good old Papa Viserys is trying to talk to people and get them together. Do you think now the lines are drawn? I definitely think the lines are drawn. But do you think this is kind of the instance where, like, it's it's okay for King Viserys to just, like, go pay respects and, like, the whole damn family doesn't have to come? Like, it's okay if, like, dad does this one on his own? Why did we have to pack up the whole ship? <laughs> I feel like things would have been better if he went alone. But <laughs> poor King Viserys, when he lost his army, lost all of his ability to see reason. <laughs> he still thinks everyone can get along. He's still out there. Rodney King in it. He still thinks Emma is alive. <laughs> yeah, I think that was our our sign that he's starting to lose it. So if and... you're Rhaenyra in your last episode, you're like, I'm out of here. I'm moving out, dad. And then it's like, yeah, but you're coming over on Sunday for Easter dinner, right? <laughs> you're <Yeah>. like, fuck. <laughs> there goes my big end, my big exit. Well, do you think with with Allison, you mentioned going after the children and trying to then. So she's trying to stab the children, ends up stabbing the heir to the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. And she she mentions it to her father. She says, everyone's already saying I went mad. Do you think Allison is now the villain to the folks in at least the Red Keep, if not King's Landing, if not Westeros. Do you think she's painted herself into a corner? Is she the bad guy now? I mean, I think they've both had their moments in this episode, right, where they kind of do the bad thing. So Rhaenyra says they'll whisper that we're the ones that killed Laenor. Yeah. Maybe that will make them wonder what else we're capable of. And then Alicent 
is the crazy who wants to cut children's eyeballs out. Yeah. So I think they they've both got a check mark in that column. What do you think? Allison's in the worst boat here because I think with Lanar being murdered by Carl, there's going to be rumor about and they sort of play it up as like, if there's rumor, it's OK. It'll make us seem threatening. But folks in King's Landing and the Red Keep in Westeros probably won't think that Rhaenyra killed her husband to marry her uncle. They'll think that Carl killed him. And maybe they think Damon maybe had something to do with it because they they know Damon's a lunatic. But that is still in the rumor mill. There was a lot of fucking people in that room when Allison attacked Rhaenyra and tried to stab her children. And there's a kid walking around with one eye to validate that shit went down. Mm -hmm. So I think that while Rhaenyra walks away from this with maybe some rumors about her maybe being involved with the death of her husband... Alicent absolutely tried to stab a child and rip out his eye. So I think that there's enough witnesses that Allison walks away from this being mad uh, at this moment, being sort of worse on the scale. Do you think that Allison coming for Luke's eye was a fair exchange? Like, was she, was she, no, was she, did she have a fair point? No, I'm not a Hammurabi's code guy. I tend not to, to do the eye for an eye. I think that, this is a, to your point, knowing what we know, it's definitely not fair because Eamon attacks them, but also it's, it's the boys who bring a knife. Yeah. Eamon didn't bring a knife. He, the knife he uses is the one that was, that was brought to stab him. If there's four of you and one of you brings a fucking knife and it's four V me yeah. and I managed to take the knife and slash one of you, right? Fuck off. Did this scene bring you back to Cersei coming for Lady when Nymeria bites Joffrey? Oh, yes. Not until you just said it. <laughs> but I think there's this weird Westerosi custom, right, of what's right and what's wrong. And there is a little bit of like, hey, accidents will happen. Shit goes down. But sometimes when you fuck with a king or a queen or an heir or a prince, the cost is higher. And I think in this scenario, what from Allison's point of view, I feel like I can see that her saying this isn't fair, similar to Cersei saying, listen, my son is going to be the fucking king and your shitty daughters, Ned Stark, got in a fist fight with him and then sent a wolf after him. Like, I want a fucking dead wolf. You're lucky I don't break your daughter's arm. I don't agree with it, but I can see that point I, of view. I mean, yeah, I, I think the only reason why I think that Cersei has a stronger claim is just because like the only kind of soul that was in Cersei was that she loved her children. And I don't know that Allison has built that at least on screen for us that she just endlessly loves her yeah, children. I think that's fair. She she likes to watch them jerk off and she listens to them talk about bugs. So we got that. But that being said, she did try to stab someone's eye, which is a very like my mom would do that. If I lost an eye, my mom would try to stab an eye. You spoke about how Rhaenyra was kind of untouchable as the heir. Do you think that Allison has a bit of a untouchable nature to her? I mean, she seems to be able to get her and her friends out of jail free. I would have said no. But the way Otto talks to her at the end of this episode where he's like, good, they should think you're a little crazy. Now take it down a notch <laughs> and like, just wait. 
And then she gives that same advice to the club foot later, which is like, stand back and stand by. <laughs> right. I would have thought that this would be disastrous for her. Yeah. And Otto doesn't seem to think so. He thinks that she can turn this around. He says, like, be repentant. Right. Go say you're sorry. Do you think she's shown to at least her dad now that she's got what it takes to sort of play the game? Well, that's what he said. Um, I think what's interesting is that in both of these situations, if you already liked or disliked one or the other, this just gives you more evidence to feel justified in your preference. I don't think this swings anybody one way or the other. Yeah. So I don't know that you win by like reaffirming your, your already had supporters. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. But do you think that, do you think this gives her an edge? Maybe. I, I don't know. If you're trying to keep people in line, as Rhaenyra and Damon discuss at the end of this episode, being scared shitless of them is a good way to do that in some respects. So if Alicent is doing the, well, I may be fucking crazy and stab some people. And I imagine it's only a matter of time before people link her to what Clubfoot did uh, at Hall. But I think that when you do no wrong, right? When you have this perceived, like, I always do the right thing. I think that that's more compelling than I think the crazy might hurt her. And I think that's yeah. why Otto tells her to put it away. She loses the hot, the moral high ground yeah. in this argument. Yeah. She's the, the Rhaenyra breaks all the rules. That's why she doesn't deserve it. I follow all the rules. Yeah. She's just doing the right thing for the realm. He's the first male heir. Yeah. That's the right thing. That's what most people want, you know? Yeah. I definitely think that she, but, she hurt herself with at least some people. And to that point, she always does the right thing, except when she accidentally lets Clubfoot murder his family. Now she talks to Clubfoot in this episode and, and gives him the hey, not yet. So last week, we wondered if Lara Strong is doing this for the realm, uh, for himself. Is he just dedicated to Alicent? What do you think, Nicole? I have no fucking idea who he works for. <laughs> I, I, he, he's not necessarily self-serving. I mean, I guess in this episode we get a bit of gloating, but to Chris, Sir Kristen's point, it yeah. kind of was like yeah. leering <laughs> at the queen. So I'm not, I don't know who he serves and I think it's kind of driving me insane. It doesn't feel like he's serving the realm, but like why, why does he want to take eyes from children? How does that benefit him? I don't understand. I don't know. What do you do you think? Do you think he has a, a master? No, I don't. And I don't think he's involved at this stage in any scheme to like get a certain person on the throne. I don't think like Varys is at least in the show. It turns out Varys has always been working to have Daenerys right put on the throne because he's for the realm and he did all the bad shit for that reason. I don't think that Clubfoot is like that. The vibe I get is that he's picked someone. And he's going to do whatever he can for that person. I do think he's loyal to Alicent. Mm. My question is, you mentioned the leering. He has dinners with her. She is now in debt I to him. I got a crush on you. Yeah. Do you think Clubfoot is not only in this for power and for prestige? <laughs> do you think be. he's also got a little thing for Alicent? His master is his penis. I, you know, I did yeah. tell you when he was, <laughs> when he was fondling the flower in her chamber. He's like, you'll reward me when the time is right. Oh. And I was like, is the yeah. flower her vagina? Like I'm kind of getting vagina vibes right now. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very possible that this is uh, a 
a crush. Also, I want our first piece of merch to be a shirt that says I'm kind of getting vagina vibes right now. <laughs> it's not TVpod.com. Um, Damon and Rhaenyra, uh, they fuck finally on a beach, <laughs> which is a good way to get a UTI. We don't recommend fucking on a beach. Do you think that this buildup of several episodes and several years for these two to get together was worth it? Did the scene work for you? I think you said it about as romantic as it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't as hot. It was harder to see. Mm. And then we talked a little bit about how uh, a male director versus a female director gives you a different uh, look at sex. Yeah. Do you did you get what you wanted out of this, Stephen? No more, no more child sex. No more child sex. So that is an improvement. <laughs> Only the weird thing is we saw more of young Rhaenyra than we did current Rhaenyra. Hey, listen, kudos to Miguel. He didn't show any titty. This is an this is an easy time, especially on an HBO show, as we've discussed. Uh, HBO is very comfortable showing nudity. Um, so a sex scene is a prime example for them to show off and sort of titillate. And they did not. And I'm OK with that. I don't need to see titty on every episode. The weird thing for this scene for me, though, was is we spent all of those episodes with the actors portraying these roles. And now one of them switched and their second scene with Damon is a sex scene. Um, so all of that tension was built up with a different actor. It's like different people. Yeah. With with I didn't need the sex scene. I didn't feel any tension. It's literally the second scene they're in together. I'm kind of still not associating old Rhaenyra with young Rhaenyra. You really liked Rhaenyra's sex scene with Kristen Cole. Uh, this one did do it for you, though. <laughs> I just think Fabian is a very good looking man and it was a very well done scene. OK, I don't want to be the person on this podcast that was pro Kristen. I'm pro Fabian. <laughs> I'm pro Fabian's chest. Yes. Who couldn't be? The sex scene eventually gets to a wedding scene, which actually I thought was much more like sensual. It felt much more like romantic. Hmm. Uh, it was weird, but it, it it felt to me much. The kisses were better. The kisses were better. Yes. With the little blood on the lips. Yeah. I, I what did you think about that wedding scene where it seems like they're using an old Valerian custom to get married? I thought it was was really interesting. It was shot very well. It looked very like uh, foreign and old. In Westeros? Yeah. What were your thoughts it here? It looked very Tibetan to me. And it even... Oh, okay, yeah. You know, because even like the flag banner in the background looked like the kind of banners yes. you see hanging on like Everest or something. Yes, yes, yes. No, it, it was very cool. And they had like the ombre and their like shawl dresses or robes or whatever that was. It was very cool. I would I would love to know more about this custom. I, we didn't see... Um, Alicent and King Viserys, but the deleted scenes indicate that it was more what we would expect from a royal wedding. Yeah. And not like this, like really interesting ceremony. Yeah. I feel like we've seen three types of weddings now. There was the Faith of the Seven, which is how most people get married okay, on the show. Okay. Which is what they, they put the cape on the other. And then we've seen an old gods. A uh, wedding, which is how Ramsey and uh, Sansa got married out by the Werewoods. And it seems like now we've got a third one, which is this old Valerian. Uh, so it's kind of neat. Which wedding would you choose if 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 you had to do your wedding over in Westeros? Oh, come on. Which one is most like my wedding? I would do the Tibetan wedding in a second. I don't know. I and the producer were not invited. Exactly. No one was invited. <laughs> 
just just your two kids from other weddings <laughs> were the only ones that were there. We needed witnesses, okay? Their plan, fake kill Lenor, and we were very happy for him that he got to go live uh, his best life with Carl somewhere in the Bahamas. <laughs> for this to work, though, he has to be far away, which worked. He has to be dead, quote unquote. And now Damon and Rhaenyra get married. Is this a good idea for them to get married? I think it's a great idea for uh, them to get okay. married for the sake of the game. I think that it was the yeah. idea, right? This would have strengthened her claim back at the rehearsal dinner when things all went down. It may have happened if things didn't all go down no. <laughs> because she threatened. She she threatened him. She said, do it. Yeah. Do what you he had already gotten rid of Rhea. I, I do think this is the right play for the game. I think this straight strengthens the claim. It's people love Damon. The people of the realm love Damon. Not everyone loves Damon, but the people do. And he knows how he knows how important they are in this. He made that clear to Rhaenyra in their little escapade. Yeah. Do you agree? I mean, like, how dare you if you don't? But do you agree <laughs> that this is the right move for them? This is the right play? It is. I don't like it. But I think it is the oh, right plan. I, mean, I don't like it because it's still icky. <laughs> For me, I think it's a smart plan. It's not a plan I like because I think they're just not good together. I don't feel like they're they're in love. Like they've got a little bit of passion because he kind of fucked with her when she was young and left an impression on her. Just, just the tip. Yeah, he groomed her into this. And now like she has an obsession with him from a young age. I'm very excited for when uh, King the King finds out about this because he was not a big fan of this idea 10 years ago. Has he softened? I, I think he's going to find out via Raven. I don't think that he was invited. I don't think <laughs> he was asked. I don't think that there's any sort of um, fucks given. Yeah. He did try to talk to Damon a little bit and was like, you should come hang out at court. So maybe he'll forgive Damon again, as he always does. But at the funeral, Damon was just kind of like hanging around, not paying attention to his kids, uh, laughed during the funeral. Is he like the shittiest dad so far in the in the show? I mean... Is it fair for a father to is is it, is it shitty for a father to favor one child over another? Absolutely. Yeah. Is there is that the shittiest thing he could do? I, maybe it's a low bar because we're talking about Damon and we went from like crazy Damon to like Pentos Damon who was like, oh look, you know he's got some domestication to him. Yeah. Um, he favors one daughter over the other. We don't know why. We just know what she thinks is the reason, which is that she didn't bond with a dragon. Her egg didn't hatch. It's not like the dragon was like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't know what his reasoning is. And Viserys gives us a little bit of a glimpse that, as to maybe like why maybe she reminds him too much of Lena. I don't know that I think he's the shittiest father on the show. Do you think he's the shittiest father on the show? I think maybe Otto might be the shittiest father on the show. Otto's out here making deals to protect his kids. I think Damon isn't the shittiest father because he favors one kid over the other. Damon is the shittiest father because he has been scheming to fuck his niece for nearly two decades. And the minute his wife, the mother of his children, dies, they're at her fucking funeral and he fucks his niece and then marries her in secret. That's what makes him the shittiest dad, not his preference for one daughter over the other. Hmm. It's not like one daughter he takes to soccer and basketball and ballet and the other daughter he tells her, like, go home and play video games. 
he fucks his niece at the at the funeral of their dead mother. Yeah. I think that's what makes him the shittiest dad. You don't think that that was in protection for them? Fuck no. In the big picture? No. No, okay. no, no. And then in addition to that, there was some um, things on the internet about how Damon notices that Uncle Valarion is like coming at Rhaenyra's children and he like detracts from that attention by giggling and therefore like the commentary stops. Mm. So it, so he was kind of protecting Jason Luke from the... I don't... I think he's just being a dick. Also, your talk earlier about no one asked the girls. You know who didn't ask the girls? Damon. He walks in where two of his two daughters were in a fist fight with a boy and he doesn't yeah. check in on them, doesn't look at them. He just smirks from the door. Shittiest dad on yeah. the show. He doesn't interject at all at any point until Sir Kristen goes to protect Allison in the kerfuffle. Right. Because all he cares about is fucking his niece. He has a one-track mind, and it's fuck well, my niece. Someone has to hold the walls up. He lean, He's a big <laughs> leaner. He's good at leaning. He's good at leaning. But shittiest dad. Shittiest dad. In the book, Damon is described as, I think, even like bordering on an obsession with Lena, right? And it also is a very good dad. And the show has been mostly faithful to that version of the characters. Why do you think that they chose to make this change? That's a good question. I think they're leaning into Damon being the bad boy. And I don't know if that's because of the actor they cast and because of, of the role he's playing. I think every choice in the show that has been made different than the book has been to paint Damon worse. And that is true of the death of Rhea Royce. Uh, that is true of him ignoring the kids in the scene. That is true of him being a bad dad. That is true of him, with the exception of what Mushroom says he does, that is true of his relationship with a young Rhaenyra, where it's not clear if he, in the books, it's not clear that he sort of trained her for Kristen Cole, uh, but it's very clear in the show that he certainly had a part of it. I think whenever there was doubt in the book for Damon, this show has decided no. And they'll take you right up to the moment. We've talked about how right before it happens, we kind of cut away. Yeah. But I think that I think this is a lean into Damon being the bad guy. My fear is, are we leaning into Damon being the bad guy so we can have a more impactful arc when he changes? Because now he's got Rhaenyra. Does he suddenly become a good guy? Or, you know, at some point, does he he change his tactics? What I fear is, is we're just going deeper into him being an asshole. Mm. What about you? Why do you think they're making those uh, in general, those changes to make him a a worse or a person, not a worse character, because he's certainly an interesting character, but a worse person? I don't think that I've decided on Damon yet. I'm not particularly pro Damon. Yeah, I don't think I think he does some absolutely terrible things and I acknowledge those. I wouldn't even say he's the worst, even though you could probably read me a list of all the things he he's done and he probably is on paper the worst acting character on the show. Yeah. I don't think I would put him in the top three worst characters on the show, like bad guys on the show. Yeah. He's he's got you hoodwinked. It's because he puts on that hoodie and you forget who he is. I think it's by design. It's by design. Right. Yeah. And he also helps the person that the kind of the the story has built us to sympathize with Rhaenyra. Sure, she has her flaws, but he helped when he helps her, he favors her. 
I think that the people that helped your protagonist always feel better. Yeah, I think that's fair. If we're rooting for Rhaenyra, then you're rooting for Damon. I'm not rooting for Damon. I want to be very clear. I, I haven't decided on Damon yet, but I yes. I don't I wouldn't chalk him up as like the big show baddie. He may be designed that way for you. Yeah. But for me, that hasn't that hasn't come through. If anything, Kristen Cole is our big show baddie. Fuck Kristen Cole. It's dragon time. <laughs> we want to do a check now that Vagar has been claimed. Oh, my God. We wanted to talk about where the dragons are and whose side they're on. Uh, Nicole, we have a bunch of dragons floating out there. What teams are the dragons on and who are their riders? So this is how the dragons stand currently. Yes. So the blacks have six dragons that have bonded, three of which are full grown and three that are smaller. That's C-Rax with Rhaenyra, Craxies with Daemon, Melees with Rhaenys, Vermax with Jace, Arax with Luke, and then Moondancer is actually quite small and can't carry Bela yet, but Bela has bonded with Moondancer. And then we have the greens with their three dragons with riders. One small, one's medium, and one... She's a, she's a big gal. <laughs> That's Vagar. Vagar's our, our big girl. And that, as we all have discussed and know, is Amon, newly Amon's, formerly Lena's. We have Dreamfire, who's our medium baby, and that belongs to Helena. And Sunfire belongs to Aegon. And right now... Based on Lenor's exit, we believe that we might have a free agent in Sea Smoke. If you want more information on each dragon and their riders, head over to at It's Not TV Pod on Twitter and check out the thread that we posted this week that breaks it all down. And we'll link that directly in the show notes. Okay, David, so that covers all the dragons we saw at the funeral, but I know you wanted to talk about some other bad funerals we've seen. Yeah, this was a doozy, this episode, but but there's some good competing ones. We've got Joffrey's funeral, which is where Jamie rapes Cersei for no reason. Allegedly. Allegedly. The director was like, my bad. I didn't mean that was rape, uh, which is, is great to always have. Tywin Lannister's funeral. We remember he was crossbowed in the bowels. And so the entire sept stinks. Some who got close to his body actually fainted from the odor. I did not know this. Yeah, it's 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 that's what happens when you get crossbowed in the bowels. Do not recommend. Khal Drogo's funeral. Ugh. Danny walked into the fire and also attached a witch to that and burned her alive. She sure did. She sure did. That's uh, that's what you do. Although that being said, that sounds like a bad funeral. But then she lived. If you're going to go to a funeral and a pretty blonde lady walks into fire and then comes out naked. That's a win. <laughs> Some other funerals famous. Uh, Game of Thrones, one of the first scenes in the first season is John Iron, uh, where he's wearing the cool little eye stones. And that is the events that kick off Game of Thrones. In that scene, Jamie and, and Cersei are like, I hope no one finds out we did it. And fun fact, they didn't do it, which is weird. Uh, Jon Snow gets stabbed to death in the Night's Watch, uh, gets tossed in one of the ice cells. And then everyone just stands around weirdly and is like, what should we do? We got a dead Jon Snow here. And someone's like, find the red woman. And you're off and running. But like, was he in like a refrigerator room or was it just cold? Because in the, the show, I don't know. I think I may have just been. Yeah, it's they're in the north. Everything's cold. Every room is refrigerator room. <laughs> Folks, it's lightning round. This is where our producer has prepared some questions about the episode based on the hottest Twitter and Reddit threads so far this week. Nicole, why don't you get us started? 
This episode adapted one of the most important and fleshed out scenes on fire and blood and featured some great lines of dialogue ripped right from George R.R. R. Martin. True or false? Ryan Condell and team are making the best adaptation of fire and blood possible. I read fire and blood shortly before we did this podcast to prepare myself. There was a lot of shit I loved in fire and blood, but I found it to be an incredibly dry read and it was hard to keep track of characters and there was so many times I had a page flip back to go, wait, who <laughs> with the time jumps that sometimes is difficult here. But I think they're doing an admirable job in doing that. I think all the elements that you'd expect to be good, uh, the the set design, the character outfits, the acting, all that's obviously top notch. I think their ability to make it mostly streamlined and mostly make sense and add layers to things that happened. Yeah, I think they're doing a fantastic job. How about you? Yeah, true. if I have to answer this question now, I answer it true with an asterisk. And I'm just going to reserve the right to retract my true once I get this full season and kind of make sure okay. that I am signing off on some of the things I, I, I think I'm missing at this point. I want to see them land the ship. I think that ultimately... The ending of the series, and if not the full series, at least the storyline, as we know, they've talked about possibly anthologizing uh, it. But for this storyline, the Dance of the Dragon, uh, which they're following. Yeah, I think there's going to be a moment when it ends where we look back and go, hey, how did it do? There's a few scenes in particular, having red fire and blood that I'm I'm like, OK, they need to nail that scene. One of those scenes was this week's episode between the greens and the blacks with the knife. And I liked it. It worked for me. The internet has been coming up with some pretty cool names for these big events. This started with Game of Thrones. It's continuing now. Uh, Green Wedding, Red Wedding, Purple Wedding, Battle of the Bastards, whatever. <laughs> what cool name would you give the scene where Alicent stabs Rhaenyra? I would call it an evening with Stabby McStabface. Okay. Because I'd go as ridiculous as possible. I don't like... And I am I am um, I'm putting my stake in the ground. This isn't something I lose sleep over. I don't like the oh, our prophecies called a song of fire and blood. And then at the end of Game of Thrones is, well, I wrote a story about this and I called it Game of Thrones. Stop being so fucking clever. The people of Westeros aren't so clever. I hated it in, in The Hobbit. We're like, oh, they're in back again. I know the fucking name of the movie. Don't have the characters know the name of the movie. It's too meta. So I call it something ridiculous. What would you call it? So lightning round, I have to answer this quickly. Dance of the Dragon. Okay. Okay. I'm fine with that. All right. Nicole, you, you've stolen your husband, the king's fancy knife, and you're about to murder your former best friend slash stepdaughter based on your wardrobe choices. What would they call your faction? Here we have the greens and the blacks. What would your group be called? Oh, I would probably be the greys. What about you? You'd definitely be the blacks. The greys. I almost always wear a black T-shirt. I will say, though, that I've previously purchased T-shirts for Nicole. And whenever I ask her the color, she always gives me the same answer. And it always makes me happy and relieved that some things in this world do not change. Nicole, when I ask you for your shirt color that I should buy, what do you say? Black like my soul. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, what do we got next? True or false? Lenor will come back at some point in the series. So in the books... Not Fire and Blood, more A Song of Ice and Fire. Lots of people die 
or disappear and then come back with alternative identities. Uh, Barristan the Bold, for example, when he got dismissed from the Kingsguard, later on showed up as Arston Whitebeard and worked for Danny. In the show, they ignore that very quickly because it stretches disbelief. But R.R. Martin loves doing this. So could Lanar come back, especially with so many bastards and various folks who come along in the story? Sure, we actually have some ideas of who we think he could be. I'm going to say, though, I don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is for two reasons. I don't like Deus Ex Lenor. I don't want him swinging in one day and saving the day. Also, I feel like he's going to have a good life. And I know shit isn't going to go well for most of the characters we have. And I love the idea of him being off in Pentos or the Free Cities or even the fucking Stepstones where he once rode a badass dragon and him just enjoying himself. Yeah. Him and Carl fucking to their heart's desire. Yeah. Like. He's a good dude. His wife in her like, I'm going to have to pretend murder you later, said you're a good dude. I wish the best for him. I don't want him roped back into this shit. What about you? I so I th I think you're right. And I do wish the best for him. I think the problem is, is we've caught Lanor in half, right? There's the part of him that loves his family and has his duty as heir and all of the things that make him proud and loved and accepted in the ways that you are proud and loved and accepted by your family. And I think yeah. that he also has the side of him that is not, he cannot be while being the heir to Driftmark. So we've caught Lanor in half. I think that he can only be as happy as half of his fulfillment mm. in either scenario, right? So I think that he's tortured. I think that at some point he will come to feel compelled to feed the other side of him. And I think it's really sad that he can't be fully happy as a full person. Better to be half happy and full alive than get involved <laughs> than whatever this bitch is. Yeah, that, are, that, are you're not going. wrong. But I think that there's a certain drive that pulls you back to your family and I could see that pulling him back to Westeros at some capacity. Speaking of family, where the fuck is Rhaenyra's baby Joffrey? <laughs> I know. What the fuck? Is, is midwife the hardest job in Westeros? <laughs> they definitely established they're not um, breastfeeding. So that's definitely possible for it to be taken care of without her. But how like how much do you think it pisses yeah. Allison off? All the scenes you see Allison like rolling her eyes into the back of her head while she bounces a baby on her hip. And Rainier is like, hey, I'm going to take off to this funeral. You you got Joffrey, right? See ya. <laughs> I love that Rhaenyra comes off of that, that what I assume very realistic, very torturous birth was, where she's dropping after birth, leaving a trail of blood. That's just normal. And she's like, a week from now, I'm going to abandon this kid. I'm not doing breastfeeding, but I'm going to get it in with my uncle. <laughs> like that's. That's what's happening downstairs. Free. All right. Next question, Nicole. So Viserys is on his last limb. Yeah. Yeah. Does he make it to the season finale? Ooh, good question. Game of Thrones was really good at doing the penultimate season finale. Episode nine was a big pivotal moment it's where they killed Ned. Um, it's where they had a lot of the battles. Um, I suspect he he gets axed by episode nine. I don't think he makes it past episode nine. So I don't think he's season finale. I think season finale is going to be mostly set up for next season. 
And I think this fucker doesn't have much longer to go. So, no, I don't think he makes it to the season finale. Do you? No, absolutely not. I, I am always surprised through these past few episodes that he even shows up. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I may have even said it on the podcast and it might have gotten cut. I can't remember that. I thought that when she gives birth, when the bells start ringing and she says, fuck, that it's because like she thinks her father yeah. died. So I'm definitely surprised every time I see him still floating along. Up next, let's talk a little more dragon stuff. Uh, Lane or his dragon Sea Smoke is now a free agent. Who do you think will claim Sea Smoke, or who do you want to claim Sea Smoke? Oh goodness, I hope it's Raina. His his niece. I think that's a good. Yeah, uh, I think that's who I'd vote for as well. Uh, next question. Vigar gave Amen quite an initiation. Do you think that she was trying to knock him off? Was it like a hazing? See if the kid had what it takes. Yeah, I do. I think that's a good question. And I do. I think so. In Fire and Blood, there's a couple of moments uh, later in the series where people are trying to ride dragons and, and they get burned or kicked off, etc. Um, and I don't know if we'll see that in the show. We skip a lot of the dragon taming in the show or the dragon bonding. I feel like it wasn't I don't feel like Vagar was like, oh, you little shit, I'm going to kill you. But I do think Vega was like, all right, you want to play this game? Let's see if you can play. And it's trying to say, like, if he fell off too bad, like, I don't think I don't think Vagar would have saved him. But I think Vagar was like, the, all right, you think you know what you're doing? Let's let's go for a little joy ride and we'll see if you if it works. Yeah. Do, do you think that's how you sort of win over? I mean, he yelled his commands in High Valerian and then he held on for dear life. Is that enough? Clearly, it was enough for Vagar. He it seems that Amund passed whatever test she was she was giving him. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna wake me up. Yeah. In the middle of the night <laughs> with this bullshit. Yeah. Let's see what you got. Yeah, for sure. He did give up an eye though for his dragon. Everyone agrees in the show that this is a fair trade. What body part would you give up to have a dragon? So, a I'm definitely not giving up any body parts for a dragon. Like I'm I'm good, Aww. but. To play fair, to play nice. <laughs> if there's a body part I would need least to be an effective dragon rider, maybe I'd give up my pinky. Um, but okay. ultimately, I don't. Th I, I think if that's the choice, then I'm. I'll like take my car. I'm good. Do you have an affliction so much for a dragon that you're willing to lose a part of your body? I first off, if it's allowed, I would give up things I don't need. An appendix. Like if Westeros understands the concept of an appendix, take that, take half my kidney. Like there are a lot of obvious ones, depending on the tech of Westeros. I wouldn't give up my eyes. I tell you right now, my eyes are going a little bit again. I need to make an appointment. And I think that I use I'm a very visual learned person. So if you take away my eyes, I'm pretty fucked. I think a lot of other people would want me to give up my tongue. You can't. You have to give commands. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd do some sign language. I teach them some sign language. That being said, I am completely non-ambidextrous. I can do practically nothing with my left hand. You've seen me try to open dry erase markers, Nicole. I think I could lose my left hand and probably not fucking notice other than typing. But if I've got a dragon, I think I'm doing a lot less typing. <laughs> Fair enough. That's I'm doing career change. No more typing. I'm riding my fucking dragon around. I'll talk to Siri all day and have her take notes. <laughs> so the wonderful Maddie Kay handle at Maddie K plays on Twitter 
had a great theory this week. They're all about a team up of Amon and Helena. They also came up with the best couple name, a thousand eyes and one. <laughs> what do we think? Is Amon going to marry Helena instead of his brother or maybe try to take the throne? I like this a lot. So this is a good theory, Maddie. I think that Amon is the first one of these shitty kids. All the kids are shitty. Mm. To be like, yo, I get it. I get do he's the first one. He said I do my duty. Fucking Stannis the Mana style to marry his sister. He's the first fucking kid who recognizes that, yeah, you're a kid, but there's something you have to do. Compare that to his nephews who are talking to Corliss and they're like, I don't own it. I like characters who step up. And so the fact that he's saying, one, I'm gonna get a dragon because I have to. Two, I'm going to tell my mom I lost an eye, but I got a dragon. Three, he's like, yeah, I'd fuck my sister if I had to. Like, no big deals. But he does say also to be nice to her. So he's not just like, I'm going to treat her like a piece of shit. He's like, that's your sis. That's our sister. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to get married. I don't know what plans Allison has for these kids and who she's going to try and mix and match. And uh, I've read Fire and Blood, certainly, but I don't know if it's going to go all the same ways Fire and Blood did. So I, I'm not taking that that for a lock. I like this, though. And I think it'd be cool if it happened. And plus, she can see the future. So, like, he can be on the dragon, have her on his back. She's calling out traffic signals and shit. She's knowing what the weather is going to be like where he's flying to watch out for fucking birds that he almost got killed by on his flight. I think they'd make a great pair up there in tandem, tandem dragon riding. What about you? Are you as hyped on this idea as I am, Nicole? I think it's a cool notion. I think Eamon will step up as, like, Aegon's going to be like, I'm not having sex with her. I'm. It's just not happening. And Amon's going to be like, fine, like, I'll step in and have the sex and get her pregnant. And at least the kids will look legitimate. <laughs> like, I think that's more likely the case. I think that makes sense. Again, thank you, Maddie, for more on on their theory. We'll link their Twitter in the show notes. Nicole, it's time to pick our heirs of the episode. Rhaenyra versus Aegon. We also previously in previous episode talked about Damon. By Damon marrying Rhaenyra, that kind of takes him out of the running. Now we have the Greens and the Blacks. Uh, Rhaenyra's teams are the Blacks. Aegon's are the Greens. Who's our heir of the episode? What side are you on today? It's still Rhaenyra. Because that's the line of succession. Yeah. I feel like that is the same boat I am. It's not a sexy one. But it's a, well, she is the one that's qualified. That being said, if Rhaenyra had actually killed Lanor this week... Mm. I think I would have possibly jumped to Team Aegon. So I'm still Team Rhaenyra, but damn, she was close this week to, to losing my support. What are you looking forward to most for next week? Honestly, I'm most excited to see what I hope is our last time jump. Mm -hmm. It looks like the kids all grow up one more level, maybe five, ten years. I, I'm not sure. But I suspect based on the storyline in Fire and Blood that this is our last major jump. Yeah. And I'm excited to see Eamon looks like a fucking lunatic with his eye patch. And he's got a big ass dragon. I'm excited for that. How about you? Little Eamon was a very good actor, though. I have to say he did an excellent job. Yes. What I, I, I'm hoping for is mercy for poor King Viserys. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to put an end to watching him deteriorate. <laughs> yeah, poor King Viserys. We, we wish you the best, buddy. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me this week as we watched episode seven. Uh, Driftmark. Audience, please join us next week for episode eight of House of the Dragon titled The Lord of the Tides. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. 
Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Bruit Media. We wish you good fortune in the pods to come. There was this girl I used to know that would chew gum and drink soda at the same time because it would make the soda colder. I wanna get freaky with gum. What? You're not gonna, I'm just gonna delete it. You're never gonna see that.